Fortygoing. Fourteen. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 132 of Forty Going On 14. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel. And I'm Josh. Let's get right to it. Podcasters, let's get podcasting. <laughs> oh. Nice. <laughs> I like what you did there. Oh, good. There are, there are actually <clears throat> two phrases from that movie that I use on a fairly regular basis, and that's one of them. Uh, ramblers, let's get rambling. Yep. Let's kill that effing band. No. Are you a mean oh. motherfucking servant of God? <laughs> That's my go-to. <laughs> what is the other one, Pat? I'm curious. Oh, uh, everybody be cool. You be cool. <laughs> uh, okay. We're, of course, talking about From Dusk Till Dawn, the uh, Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino joint. Yes. Um, we watched that, and we watched the, uh, what is it, 2010? Oh, no. 2014 and Two- still going. Really? 2014 yep. TV show. on Third uh, season is in the works. Yeah, that's on uh, Netflix um, of Dust Till Dawn, which we will talk about later. Yeah. <laughs> because of the way we do the show. Originally on uh, Robert Rodriguez's television channel, El Rey. El Rey. Yes. So, yeah, Dust Till Dawn, that old vampire flick, came out in 1996 and uh, starring the... Uh, Movie release, uh, movie, uh, first movie of, who the fuck is his name? Just lost him. His first actual movie. George Tarantino? George Clooney. No, George Clooney. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. Clooney's first role. Yeah. First film uh, role, yes. Well, unless you count Return of the Killer Tomatoes, but. And this, this uh. Was his, this was his first one after achieving some amount of fame on ER. Yeah. Let's yeah, it was his first featured role. Yes, starring role. Yeah. I like this trend we're getting, which I think we're going to be able to mine for a little bit for future shows where they take a classic movie and then turn it into a television show. Yeah. Like Fargo it, and Hannibal. Yeah. And it's turned, those are turning out pretty well, actually. I'm really enjoying some of them. And I know that at my mention of Hannibal, we've got at least one listener who was just like waiting for us to get around to do that show. It's, it's coming at some point. Me too. Bates Motel. I mean, there's a lot of them. Bates Motel. There's like, Six psycho movies? No. Three. And one remake. Only three? Yep. God, it just seemed like they were always coming out all over the place in the eighties. But uh if you are in the eighties and you would like to listen to us. You can't because podcasts <laughs> weren't a thing. And we've only been doing this for two and a half years. Way to steal my punchline, man. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> it's just laying there. Yeah. But you can find us now on Geek Life Radio. At noon, between the uh, turnbuckle throwbacks and the stick twiddlers. Just go to geekliferadio.com and put us on streaming. Yeah, if you want to check out our archives, you can always check us out on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, and soon Google Play Music Podcasts. Yeah. When is that ever going to happen? I don't know. I think it's happening. Slowly, the rollout, and I think they're... Uh, getting the navigation and search tools better because some people have their podcasts up already, but can't find them if they're not logging in through their own account, which is awkward. Mm. We've been promoing this forever now. <clears throat> yeah. Well, well, like the left field sports lounge. <laughs> we need something to promo that isn't really happening. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, uh, if you have any you, ideas, what? Yeah. Yeah, call us at uh, 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. Or you can reach out to us on Twitter, at 40go14, or shoot us an email at 40go14 at gmail.com. So, yeah. So, um, speaking of voicemails, do we have any? 
We don't have voicemails, but we have uh, some activity both on the email account and Twitter. Really? That's fantastic. Well, actually, I don't say really because I'm sound surprised because I'm the one who put the emails in. <laughs> <laughs> Why you don't say, Mike? Oh, really? Tell me more. <laughs> we have a bunch of them from astute listener Joe Aberino, who is keeping the eye out for remakes so we can cover them on the show. So uh, they've apparently remade Ben-Hur. I was as shocked as anyone else. Yeah, that's I don't I don't recall Ben Hur. I don't see anything about it. Yeah, but apparently they've remade that, and they've also remade or in the process of releasing uh, a new Tarzan movie. So we can do Tarzan, and then we can do George of the Jungle. They should have called it Ben Him. Maybe then it would have got some attention. If it's not Johnny Weissmiller, I'm not interested. He was Tarzan. Can you do the shout, Joel? Uh, not currently. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> not currently. Do you have any other uh, interaction there, Joel? Yeah, uh, on Twitter from Joe Dane, I uh, was talking about our Deadpool show last week, at uh, Zombie Archivist, which is mm. Joe. At uh, Fortigo14, I'm rereading Deadpool Illustrated. Only he can get with the idea of killing literary, literary characters to end his existence. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's the third part of the trilogy. Like we didn't get into it's like Deadpool kills the Marvel universe, Deadpool kills Deadpool, and then the Deadpool trilogy, where he's just go- going around killing literary characters because he he figures he has to kill somebody fictional to put himself out of his misery. It gave me an example. No. Of who? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Of who he killed? I'm just trying to figure like out Tom who Sawyer. He killed Tom Sawyer. No, but I'm just saying that that's the, what they're talking about, killing literary characters. I didn't read it. I don't know who he killed. Uh, this is the part where Josh would yeah, there's like so-and-so and so-and-so, but no. Josh nope. hasn't read it, he said. No, I haven't actually read the Killogy. I knew it was a thing. Uh, I haven't read Killistrated. It's the only part of the Killogy I haven't read. I don't know where to take it. Oh, ha-ha, you get no closure, Joel. Yeah. You closing, you thing, you. What? Hey, is <laughs> it about that time? It is about that time. All right. Wait, we lost Joel. Didn't think the joke was that mean. <laughs> yeah, he disappeared as soon as I said it. I hope he didn't really take it personally. What was the joke? I don't know. That's uh-huh, cool. You get no closure, Joel. And then he just disappeared. I've said much worse to him. It can't be that. Yeah, I'm like, I'm thinking of things that I've said and it can't be. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jesus, I've seen some really awful shit to that man. Yes. I've actually got his answer oh. now. I was stalling for time. Is he back? I'm here. I don't know where all you went. Yeah, you went away for a little while. <laughs> I said, ha ha, you get no closure, and then you just disappeared. Yep. I was, I was like, I'll I show you, fuckers. <laughs> I, I was like, this is the part where Josh doesn't say anything, and then it went silent <laughs> for a really long time. Well, and I was actually trying to stall for time so I could look it up because I hadn't read it. In the meantime, Joel's like, wow, talk about commitment to the joke. <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Well, I'll just bring this up. I really don't know where to where to pick up. Now, wait, where, does where, he have an example? Oh, yeah, we'll just bring it up from the tweet. I'll just I'll just cut it from whenever we said it's about that time. I'll edit it. I'll fix it in post. <laughs> okay, five, four, three, two, one. This week in music, movies, and TV. <laughs> So this week in 1996, the year of the release of From Dust Till Dawn, and uh, music on March 13th, Ramones fans riot in Buenos Aires, Argentina, after waiting all night for concert tickets, only to find out that the show had been sold out. 
I can't. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that's funny. That's how they wrote Let's Creek Bob. Uh, Josh, I'm going to need closure on that anecdote. Okay. Well, well, uh, the uh, first kill a Deadpool illustrated has Moby Dick on the cover. Like I haven't actually read these, but yeah, apparently Don Quixote and Moby Dick are both killed in the first issue. Okay. There, I've got a point of reference. Moving on. All right. <laughs> so, uh, March 16th, Mariah Carey and Boys to Men 16th consecutive week stay Jeez. at number one in the American charts with one sweet day. Ends when Celine Dion's acronym of the week, BYLM. Yes, that's Brigham Young Loves Men. <laughs> Not popular with Mormons. It's true. <laughs> Did you just snort? Uh, she, she chose a controversial topic for that song. I, I can't believe it reached number one. Wow. That's, I think that's the first time I've gotten Mike to laugh at something that wasn't a dick joke. <laughs> Well, Mormons, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so, you found uh, the sweet spot for Lutherans. Yeah. Mormons. <laughs> Mormons and dick jokes right there. <laughs> uh, so, that's uh, obviously because you loved me. Okay. No, I don't. That's not nearly as funny. All right. So, but One Sweet Day enjoyed the longest consecutive stay at number one in Billboard's Hot 100s history. That's crazy to me because it's not even like their best song. No. Probably not their second or third best song. That isn't, how, how many weeks total? 16th consecutive week. That's ridiculous. She barely even held the high note in that one. <laughs> well, it's because she tripped over one of the boys to men's canes. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, uh, 1996, the Sex Pistols announced that they will be returning for a 20th anniversary tour on March 18th. And they rioted in Buenos Aires. <laughs> I was just going to make that joke. Wait a second. This isn't us. This is the Ramones. <laughs> Found out that their own concert was sold out. So, uh, <laughs> oh, albums. Go now, Joni. Yeah. Albums released this week include Mbop by Hanson, Songs in the Key of X by someone. No, oh, that's the, the soundtrack to the X Files. Oh, okay. Soundtrack. Oh, okay. Yeah. Songs in the Key of X, the soundtrack to the X Files, which I think all of us have. Included Black Helicopters by Foo Fighters. Yes. And, uh, Born on a Pirate Ship by Bare Naked Ladies. My second favorite album from them. Yeah. Is Gordon your your number one? Gordon. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. So, so, uh, Ola Ruddage? Ola Ruddage died of 100. (laughs) How did you butcher that name? (laughs) Ola Rudge. That's the simplest name in this entire tweet. I guarantee you that. Getting out of the way early. (laughs) All right. So, anyway, this chick died at 101 years old on March 15th. She was an American-born concert violinist, now mainly remembered as a longtime mistress of the poet Ezra Pound and mother of his daughter, Mary. Oh, I think Deadpool killed her. (laughs) (laughs) She Um, was most famous for being taken to Ezra Pound Town. (laughs) (laughs) Waiting to tell that joke. Oh, so dumb. So, movies. Yeah, it's one of the dumbest jokes the I've ever laughed that hard at. <laughs> right. Well, it's just, you don't get a whole lot of Ezra Pound sexual jokes. <laughs> no, you should get more. I got nothing. <laughs> I mean, how do I follow that up? So, movies. The Birdcage is the number one movie in the land, which was hilarious. Didn't we all, go, we all went to see so it together, much. right? Hmm? Didn't we go see that together? All of us? We may uh, have. I, I don't. Yeah, we, Jay was there, and he was so uncomfortable. 
I don't I, think I saw it with you guys. No, cannot wear shoes. They make, make me, me fall, fall down. down. <laughs> that is the line I hit constantly, constantly use from that movie. <laughs> oh, look, it's two boys playing. I think they're playing leapfrog. <laughs> I love that movie. So good. And every, a remake. Every now and then I'll ask, I'll ask for a Purin tablet. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> on the truck, sometimes like if I, uh, if I break something, like when I'm making a sandwich, I'll drop something or do something. You know, I just I look at my niece and I just be like, "I pierced the toast." <laughs> In the fall, I'll constantly refer to the environs as foliage, nice. <laughs> and no one ever calls me on it. That's awesome. So, also, uh, Executive Decision and Fargo are released in theaters this week. And I saw one of those in the theater, and it was not Executive Decision. <laughs> Did I? Did I ever tell you guys the funny story about executive decision re- related to my father? No. No, but please do. I love your He's, story. My father was that. a big Steven Seagal fan. He went, and he and my mother oh. uh, were still together at this time, and they went to go see this in the theater. And they were always big fans of popcorn. And the movie started, and my dad went to go get a refill on their popcorn. And <laughs> at the time he was gone, Steven Seagal's character died. <laughs> and she, he comes back with the popcorn. And my mom's like, well, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> <laughs> you want to talk about bad timing. <laughs> All right. So March 14th, the Dish Network, a direct broadcast satellite service, begins a service as a service of EchoStar. Huh. Now, Dish Network is everywhere. Yes. Uh, the Mystery Files. And EchoStar of, is gone. Yeah. The Mystery Files of Shelby Wu. And the <laughs> Sentinel premiere this week. The Mystery Files of Shelby Wu. I don't Nickelodeon show. Oh. Oh, that's why. Oh. I thought it was like Scooby's cousin. Shelby Wu. Shelby, Shelby Wu. Shelby, Shelby Wu. Shelby Wu. Shelby Wong. Shelby Wong. <laughs> <laughs> it had Pat Morita, so how bad could it be? Well. Yeah, I know. That's not bad. exactly a good line in the sand there. And the Sentinel right. premiered this week. <laughs> yes. And. Did they remake The Sentinel? What well, was the, there was a 2006 The Sentinel with, uh, I don't know if it was a direct, yeah, Michael Douglas, Kiefer Sutherland, Eva Longoria. No. I don't Admirator. know if it was a remake. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Ready? Sports. Oh, boy. Aravinda Del Silva gets 102. Is that an asterisk? 100. That's 107. <laughs> no. <laughs> My... That is an asterisk, however, that is not a two. Yes. (laughs) How did you get the asterisk? My cursor was on top of it. Sure. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Whatever, fucker. He's gone. Oh, man. So, should I bring him back? (laughs) Joel's gone again? God damn it. No, I hung up on him. (laughs) Because I was laughing. (laughs) So, either way, this guy, or girl, I don't know. Well, what's the asterisk for? I don't know. I cut and pasted it. Jesus Christ. There's probably something at the bottom of the page that you got this from that says what that's about. Footnote. It it probably says, that should be a two. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's what the asterisk is for. 107. Two, sir. 107 and 3-42 in Cricket World Cup victory. So. There you go. Yeah. That was so worth me putting in there. I know. When you said it was an all-cricket sports, I just thought it was just really boring stuff. Oh, man. On March 13th, Sri Lanka beat India in the World Cup semis as riots stopped play. So the riot broke out and they just stopped playing? A riot broke out in the stadium. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, and everyone's they got... realized that the Ramones were sold out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's better than that. Uh, Aravanda da Silva. At least Pat didn't uh, put his name in the original form. I just copied it into the notes. Oh, Jesus! That is no. That's a language. That's yeah. a crop circles. Yeah. That, yeah. that is his name. I would try to, yeah. Uh, yeah, in Sinhalese. Oh, jeez. All right, so on March 14th, Australia beat West Indies by five runs in an amazing Cricket World Cup semifinal game. Yay! And then on March 17th, Sri Lanka, go figure, beats Australia by seven wickets to win the World Cup. Yeah, Pat, did you just Google Sri Lanka? No. That's weird. Because, yeah, I, that, that's pretty much the common theme through sports this week. What? Sri Lanka? Yeah, that's where Aravanda da Silva's from. Well, like I said, I could have almost done the all-cricket tweet. There was so much t- well, cricket world, stuff. Apparently, the World Cup was going on, so Sri Lanka was kicking ass and taking names. Yep. So. And right now, Kilawilba is like, boy. <laughs> <laughs> He's throwing more shrimp on the barbie. He's so excited. Oh, my God. Prawns. Making friends all over. <laughs> so speaking of friends, Dust Till Dawn came out in 1996. Directed what by a Robert weird Ray. transition. <laughs> <laughs> Just, that, I call that the bitch slap transition right there. That's the, <laughs> Speaking of friends. whatever was the last word you said. That was the Monty Python end of the skit. He just steps in and he's like, nope, too silly. We're done. Moving on. <laughs> friends of the yard. <laughs> so... Is this the description from IMDb? Two criminals and their hostages unknowingly seek temporary refuge in an establishment populated by vampires with chaotic results. That could almost be a laugh a minute uh, like sitcom, too. I'm I'd watch it. it. <laughs> <laughs> so directed by Robert Rodriguez, known for such things as Spy Kids. Desperado. Sin City, Planet Terror, Grindhouse. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> El Mariachi. Yeah. Um, Shark Boy and Lava Girl. We try and forget about Once Upon a Time in Mexico. That one, too. Didn't he do... I thought... I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I could have sworn he did the... Uh, no, that wasn't him. Who does the one? Um, Pacific Rim. Who is that? Guillermo del Toro? Okay. Sorry. Mixed. Mixed my directors up. So, yeah. Known for one's very... Mexican, one Spanish. I think. And written by Robert Kurtzman and Quentin Tarantino. So, I think we all did. I know we went to go see this together. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we saw this one in the theater together. At least, yes. I don't know what was. Pat, were you with us? I think I was. Yeah. I know I was. I was trying to remember the first time I saw this movie while I was watching it, and I'm pretty sure we all saw it together. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember seeing this with all of you guys and Suzanne. Because I remember about halfway through the first fight scene in in the temple, Suzanne turns to me and she goes, I don't know why I'm laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Like, just go with it. It's cool. Uh, I just remember literally going in there thinking, all right, we're going to go see another Tarantino road movie. And I was like, cool, you know, Natural Born Killers and True Romance and and Reservoir Dogs. And then we're like, what the? Was there no um, press on the fact that they were vampires in the beginning of it? There was nope. We were all taken by surprise. Yeah, right. I'm pretty sure we saw it before anyone knew what it was about. Okay. There was basically no internet at that point. That's true. And, and we went to go see it the, the weekend it opened up. Any commercials that would have been out there, most of us didn't have broadcast TV in the room. So 
Because I remember when Salma Hayek was dancing, Josh and I were like, yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly all, all shit breaks loose and we're all like, what the f-? We're like, what happened? I'm looking at the poster to see the only thing that that possibly could let you know that it had vampires is there's like bats in the horizon on the picture. But um, so some trivia before we get into the cast. Uh, the famous No Thanks, I've Already Had a Wife was improvised by George Clooney. Uh, Robert Rodriguez never intended it to be in the final cut, but after the studio included the line in the trailer, he felt obligated. Oh, nowadays they wouldn't have done it. Yeah. Nowadays, you see a trailer and you go in there and you're watching a completely different movie from what you <laughs> Right. I don't remember any of this. I, I pay for Star Wars, not the road chip. So, uh, the first script that Quentin Tarantino was paid to write for the mere sum of $1,500. Uh, special effects technician Robert Kurtzman asked him to write a screenplay based on his story and returned to providing the ear slice scene in Reservoir Dogs. Yep. yep. Yeah, so he had never been paid for writing a script before this. Wow. That's crazy. Now, is Kurtzman, is he related to the, com- is he one of the comic family of Kurtzman? Joel? I don't know. Who, uh, who are you thinking of? What other comic per- people are you thinking of? Isn't there a Kurtzman comic? I can't remember if he is a writer. Well, there's Kurtzman and Orsi who are known oh. for doing Star Trek and no. Fringe. You know, who I'm thinking. I'm thinking this Robert is a, Kurtzman. I'm thinking Harvey Kurtz. Harvey Kurtzman. He did. He was oh. a cartoonist on uh, Mad Magazine. I don't think they were related. Well, they might. Yeah, be. I don't see it in his uh, bio here. It doesn't say anything about relatives. Okay. So and so, he's probably also not related to Alex Kurtzman, who is the Star Trek Fringe Amazing Spider-Man guy. Yeah. Let's talk about more people he's not related to. Uh, Danny DeVito. He is not <laughs> no, related. related to him. Oh, really? <laughs> you failed this game already. Jesus. That's his uncle, yeah. Oh. So uh, Selma Hayek has a real fear of snakes and had always refused to be near them. Naturally, when she read the script, she knew her phobia would prevent her from taking the part. Rodriguez conned her into thinking that Madonna was ready to nab the part instead, so Hayek spent two months with therapists to overcome her fear. Wow. Awesome. That is fantastic. Thank God that didn't happen the other way. I know, because imagine if she still dropped out. He'd be like, well, shit, now i got to go get Madonna. <laughs> right. We would have been like, eh. yeah, I don't know, 1996 Madonna. That's all right. And yeah. It's not like she was around for a whole lot either. So It's not so much her look as just her in the character would have not worked. Well, let's go to the next point of trivia, because you can see how it could technically have worked. Yeah. So originally, Satanical Pandemonium was called Blonde Death. Quentin Tarantino decided to go for a Latino-Mexican star, so he used Salma Hayek after seeing her in Desperado. The name Satanical Pandemonium came from the title of a gory Mexican horror movie uh, called, full title, Satanical Pandemonium La Sexorcista. came out in 1975 that had, he had seen on the shelves of the video store that he had worked in. I've never, so I, wa- never watched it. I, I just saw it on the shelf. I just... <laughs> And I would guess that if they'd gone the Madonna route, she would have the character would have remained blonde death. Right. Yeah. Still can't see it. <clears throat> yeah, I still think Salma Hag was great as that role, so Yeah. But um yeah, it's starring just the cast on this is amazing. It's uh George Clooney as Seth Gecko, Quentin Tarantino as uh Richard Gecko, Harvey Keitel, Jacob Fuller, Juliet Lewis, Kate, Ernest Liu, uh or now he's actually has he has actually got a great um, career. Now he's in charge of North Korea. <laughs> he, he's done absolutely. He doesn't have a whole lot of stuff on his IMDb. I was hoping to You're see going to hell. And um, Scott <laughs> will be there. 
Salma Hayek as the aforementioned satanical pandemonium. Cheech Marin all over the freaking place. <laughs> as everybody. Yeah. Border guard, Chet Pussy, Carlos. <laughs> Dr. Clump. Yeah. Just, when you say that, it's so perfect because even when you say his the second name that he went by, it you can hear him saying it. Oh yeah, that's that was that was another one of those because the girls like, uh, well, Katie likes horror movies, and it's another one of those. Well, can she watch it? I was think thought of Cheech Marin. I'm like, yeah, that scene alone, probably not. <laughs> so yeah, there's not really any like nudity. Well, there's a little nudity, but not yeah, a there's lot. some nudity as yeah. they come into the the bar. Yeah. But yeah, that's a that's a pretty in depth speech using that word over and over again. Yeah. So uh, also, uh, Denny Trejo as Razor Charlie, Tom Savini as Sex Machine, and Fred Williamson as Frost. This, it, I think, the entire reasoning on any sort of meeting that they had about this was because it's cool. Well, sure. I mean, Fred Williamson is like an icon of the black exploitation genre. So Tarantino like demanded he get in there. And I know that uh, Rodriguez just wanted an excuse to work with Tom Savini. Yeah. This, and um, who was the other one? Trejo, Savini. Was there a well, third one that was like a um, uh, exploitation film guy? Yeah, I, I, that was the first one I said. Fred Williamson. Oh, OK. Sorry. Is that? Well, and Danny Trejo is a mainstay of Rod- Rodriguez's films. A very Tom Savini is just a good guy. Uh, one of the years when I ran the Ides of March game convention, Tom Savini was hanging out in the hotel bar, what? and we were drinking with him all night. He's just an awesome dude. He seems like it. He he really does seem like he's a he would he would be a cool guy. I mean, for all the you're stuff just, that he's done, hung out with Tom Savini. Yeah, I, I, I haven't he, heard this before. Yeah, how is this the first time we've heard of this? I don't because he's never brought it up. Yeah, Tom Savini doesn't come up in conversation all that often. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there there were you. He doesn't. They were doing a horror movie convention also in the same hotel at the same time. So that that night was awesome. I should say so. Yeah. Wow. Very cool. I have his autograph because Dennis got it for me, but I never got to meet him. Officially jealous. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What about Sex Machine? Speaking of Tom Savini, ridiculous. This whole movie is just like over the top. Well, I mean, and it starts out just like a really badass stock Tarantino piece. Mm-hmm. Like that whole scene at the uh, gas station liquor store uh, oh. is stock Tarantino only. I'd say it's better than a lot of the rest of the stuff because you've got some of the same devices like hidden information where the audience knows stuff that the characters don't, and you get to see what's really going on. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and admittedly, I mean, in in my mind still, I think this is one of Clooney's best roles he's had on screen. And same thing with Tarantino, even. I mean, he, under the direction of somebody else, outside of Jimmy from, Jimmy Dimmick from Pulp Fiction, I mean, he kind of nailed the character, in my opinion. Although I know I'm probably in the, no, I would I would agree with you. This is probably his best acting. Oh yeah, because the rest of it is not much to talk about. Well, I think the big thing with George Clooney is we had uh, said earlier that this is his first foray into Hollywood, um, and before this he was on ER, so he was playing that clean cut. I'm here to save everybody's life, and now he's this gun toting, tattooed neck uh, badass, which I think was complete flip from what people were expecting when they saw. Oh, George Clooney made a movie. Well, yeah, and he goes from his standard 
charismatic guy to incredibly menacing mm-hmm. uh, on a dime as Seth. Yeah, he, well, he does a great job as his character. I, I think he really proved that he was capable of doing more than just being that good-looking Dr. McDreamy kind of guy. And he sells it. And and the thing is, is, because of his charisma, even though he's a bad guy, and he's got Richie as a counterpoint of an even badder guy, he comes off as being the good guy. Because you like watching him work, even though he's doing things that really are not very good. Right. And I think a lot of times people he's working with, uh, or hostages or whatever, see how off the rails rich he is and like okay i'm gonna talk to the nice one and he's got to shut that shit down real quick but mm-hmm. i said like don't don't confuse me for not a criminal right if you cross me i will kill you faster than my brother will which yeah. land which is a thread that runs through the entire film all the way to the very last line i mean it's it's a common theme where even even at the end when Juliet lewis is like take me with you or and yeah. he's like no i'm a bad guy you don't want to i don't remember the exact line Pat, oh, oh shit no that, that's um, actually i'm sorry that's a third line i use all the times i'm a bastard but i'm not a fucking bastard that's right. the one yeah i use that a lot too except i usually say asshole <laughs> well yeah uh, you're a little both my uh <laughs> you know, falling back into other bad decisions my family has made my uh my grandmother was a big fan of george clooney to the point where I, I the less i knew about this the better off i was so I'm like, hey, Grandma, went to the video store, brought home a movie. It's got George Clooney. She's like, oh, good. <laughs> she sat, <laughs> watched the whole movie, didn't say a word through the entire thing. And when the credits roll, she turns to me and she goes, I don't think I liked him that much in that. <laughs> but that Tarantino fellow. Yeah, but the guy with the foot in his mouth. Holy cow. And that's the other thing. I, Joel, I agree with you. Quentin Tarantino does a great job of acting. If what he's doing is like a mentally handicapped pervert, is that what he's going for? I really don't like Quentin Tarantino in this. Oh, see, I I like him in this because his character is so creepy. I mean, he's not a good guy. And he, 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 what Rodriguez did was rather than go the usual route where Tarantino is a motor mouth, he told him to shut up. And I think that added to it because he was uncomfortable not saying things. It's even creepier. Yeah. Right. And Tarantino not talk. Yeah. There's an awesome series of shots where they're in the RV and he's looking at Juliette Lewis and they've got this really creepy starting with her toes pan up mm-hmm. and they keep doing different shots of just his eyes. Yeah. It goes from like her toe. I, I just finished watching this before we came on. So it was like toes, eyes. Ankles, eyes, knees, eyes, back and forth, all just. And then he does that whole, hey, were you serious about what you said about me? Uh, <laughs> yeah. And she's like, what? But um, I just, um, maybe it's not. Uh, he he, he cre- got under your skin. I think that's the point. He creeped me the fuck out. Yeah. He, I, don't, I don't think it's that you don't like it. I think that he, he, he did what he was supposed to do. And I'm sure when we get to the second half, we're going to talk about the differences between the two Richies. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, arguably, I mean, I know you guys aren't as big of fans of Rodriguez as, as I like to think I am, but this really is him at the height of his powers because he's got his wingman that has stayed with him from, for, well, they're still together working together. Um, and he's got an amazing cast that is all, you know, putting in a top notch performance in a movie that really is a B grade horror movie. And in, 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 in the scope of what they're initially set out to do, 
But because everybody's doing so much and they've got so much power behind it, it turns into something else. Well, that's the thing is like you, you're right when the story itself isn't that great. I mean, on on the surface, it's it starts out as a, a crime thriller, a chase movie, turns into vampires. It's, it's I mean, it's very, like it's written by a 12 year old, honestly. Right. Yeah, it's very comic booky. I, yeah, I don't know that I, I would say that's like there's not a good story up to that point. Uh, two hardened criminals uh hijacking a family and taking them across the border into Mexico like that's an interesting movie already to me oh i know i it is an interesting that is an interesting would be an interesting story and i'm sure but this the way it was presented was in, very in typical robert rodriguez fashion everything is done to be ultra cool yeah it was very i mean you could almost take each scene and cut it out stop it cut it out put it as a comic i mean cuz it's very uh by the numbers you know what I mean? They're going. They he meets up. They're in the RV. Oh, they're going to get to the. Something's going to happen when they hit the border. You know that sort of thing. It's very you know A to B to C to D. It's stylized like a comic book. Right. Right. I can see that. Yeah. So I'm mean, not saying it's a bad story. I'm just saying it's not an old. You know, it's not like an amazing story. There's no uh, incredibly depth. Not really deep. You know, you get a little bit of kind of um, of mice and men thing going on with uh, the Gecko Brothers. And, uh, you know, cause you, you see that Seth is really struggling with the fact that, uh, Richie is in fucking sane and fillets people every time he turns his back. But, sure, but he can't side with anyone against his brother. Right. Right. Cause it's his family. You know, you essentially have two films here that have been woven together in such a way that it works. You know, uh, and not to diss on Rob Zombie's Halloween, because, of course, I'm a huge fan. We've talked about it on a previous Halloween show. But they, that one also feels like two movies as well. But it kind of has a hard stop in the middle. This one kind of bleeds into the other and carries over. And the themes from the original carry over into the, the rest of it, which kinds of turns a little comical in a lot of ways versus being very hard, no, hardcore, straightforward, you know, nail biter. And then it ends kind of bringing it all back around with a twist ending, in my opinion, kind of where they do that panning shot away from the Aztec temple and you go, oh, my God, you know, it wasn't just a, a, a bunch of vampires at a bar. It was something so much more. And all of a sudden there's this mythos that kind of blows up in your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. that was I think that was one of the things that we were almost I mean, we talked about the entire way on the way home was the fact it wasn't so much the movie itself, but that last scene where you see that huge temple and all the trucks that had been pushed over the uh, over the side, you know, because there was again so much more that you can do with that, so much more depth of the story of that. And I don't know, my feelings on this movie have always been complicated. Like I love the beginning, I, I love everything that happens, pretty much up to the point there are vampires, and I don't hate everything that happens after there are vampires. But for one thing, the splatter house style of horror is not my thing. Um, so that had a strike against it. Uh, I, I didn't necessarily think the tone shift always worked. And I was sort of irritated by having these visually, at least, and conceptually interesting characters like Sex Machine and Frost who are introduced and then pretty much immediately thrown away. I wanted to see more about those guys. But you and, have to admit that scene where Frost is telling the story as sex machine is turning into a vampire is pretty hilarious it, it's funny and that's the thing it's not that i can take 
most individual scenes, although I've always, from the first moment I saw it, hated when the band turned into playing these guar style human body <laughs> instruments. I was like, okay, that's just fucking stupid. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that goes back to what I said before. The entire reasoning behind this movie and everything that they did was because it would be cool. Wouldn't it be cool if we turned around there playing dead bodies? You know, wouldn't it be cool if, you know, uh, um, uh, Frost, Fred Williamson killed four vampires by throwing them onto an upside down table lights? See, and that's where you get Rodriguez's influence that I think for him and when him and Tarantino are sitting around and their energy is just feeding off of each other. They're like, okay, well, how else would you kill them? You're in a bar. You flip a table. Oh, you got four stakes. Okay, you put all four people on each one. Oh, or that when they get to the the back room, they're like, well, what's going to be back there? Well, let's see. You know, there's all these trucks, and then they start thinking of these cool ideas for weapons. And that's part of the fun of it is the improvisation of everything, and the pencil to the heart. I mean, come on, I've never seen that in a vampire movie before. Okay, I think the pencil to a heart thing. The one thing I had a problem with was the fact that Frost ripped his heart out as he walked by. Well, they address that immediately uh, after, practically, when they're talking oh. about, what do we know about these vampires? Yeah, they're squishy. Yeah, and Sex Machine says, yeah, they're absolutely squishy. You hit them hard enough, you can knock their heads off. And Frost is a huge tank of a man. So the idea that he could punch through a vampire's heart mm-hmm. or chest and come out with his heart. Now, how he doesn't end up with his arm stuck in the vampire? Okay. Or his hand burnt up when the heart well, disappears. But I think that that's a... Because uh, the, they play the, the music and everything that is a throwback to the Bruce Lee movies. Right. So it's it's a it's a homage, as it were. I mean, yeah. <clears throat> the whole concept... All right, here's my take on the movie. Um, I, I like Josh and then say like this movie a lot at the beginning. I mean, I liked it when it was the you know two guys on the run from the law and they get across the border and everything and all the tension of the border stop and all that stuff. It was really well done. And then they get, you know, and then they get into the world of the fantastical and I think we all know I have a real hard time with things that are done just for the sake of being cool and all yes. that kind of stuff. And I and I don't like things that are not realistic and so on and so forth. But that all being said, because this movie doesn't take itself too seriously, I don't hate it. I kind of enjoy this movie, it's, even when it does go to the to the uh, the vampires. But my biggest problem I have with it is if you're going to finish it with that final shot showing that they've been doing this for you know thousands of years, whatever you want to say, then you can't have a, a narrative where these guys wipe out the entirety of the vampires that inhabit this thing if they've already been surviving for thousands of years. You can't have Juliette Lewis and George Clooney be the survivors. Well, and that's the thing is that when you walk out, when you see that last scene and you walk out of there, you're like, there's no way that it's all the vampires that were in there. There's got to be more. There's got to be in that in all those layers. And then they come up eventually with some, uh, you know, they've got some um, second movies, second and third movie that they came out and gave a little bit more to it. But. That was one of the things that I liked about it as the first time I saw it was there's so much potential for let's go deeper into the temple. And it's interesting, uh, Pat's and my reservations with the movie. I want to revisit them when we talk about how those concerns were addressed through the series, mm-hmm. well, whether or not they were addressed successfully. The the second film is a is an actual sequel where they carry on the mythos. The third one is a prequel. It's set 100 years prior to the original story. Um, 
And I just have to ask, because you guys all know that I'm a huge Juliette Lewis fan. Ever since I saw Cape Fear, I've been a fan and I'm still a, a, I love her to death. So what did you guys think of her performance in this? Mm, she played, I don't know, she played the, the character as well as the comic allowed her to. I don't know. I, I'd probably, like, looking back on it, I, I had a minor negative impression of her performance before. I rewatched it with fresh eyes, and now I'd probably just say she was bad. That's And that's partly what I mean there, because it's like she she was very... That if she's she's that way, and of course she takes the money, walks away, smiles, and gets into the car instead of having a nervous breakdown like any other normal human being would, <laughs> right? Because that's the way. Because because it's cool. Well, and she was kind of wooden in like some of the early scenes where she's talking to her dad and brother in the diner, and just like in the scene, like Harvey Keitel was doing fine, but like everybody around him, it was just like. Not what I expect out of Juliet Lewis, and I can't fault Ernest Liu. It's his first and pretty much his last role. Yeah. I thought mm-hmm. Harvey Keitel was worse in this movie than Juliet Lewis was. And there's a lot really? to that because because we have to talk about counterpoint or counterparts in the in the next segment, because I think her character is a lot bigger role in the TV series so far. Yeah, um, I'm sure we're going to be doing a point by point for the big characters. Yeah. And well, and, and yeah, she wasn't maybe at her at her finest hour. And I agree with that. And again, to, not to bring up Rob Zombie, but that's one of the things that I love about Halloween, too, is that he addresses the post-traumatic stress disorder that victims should be suffering from after going through this type of an experience where in reality, she's not going to be like, oh, you know, hey, let's go. She's going to be like you said, she's going to have a breakdown or she's going to be freaking out or like. Who knows? She's well, going to maybe be, be in shock. But let's be honest: a lot of horror queens are not the best actors in the world, or they're not going to exactly be able to portray the range of emotions you go through as a survivor of something like that. And that's where Halloween Two succeeds, and where I don't get the hate for it is because Scout Taylor, uh, she she does that, and she she I think expresses it in a way that's very realistic, and so. I agree with you on that. I never thought about it that way because I was too wrapped up in the whole it's cool thing um, to really. And I was I was bummed that you're right, that the that sex machine and Frost and even that Richie all kind of sure. bought as early as they did. Yeah. I mean, a Richie. Well, a Richie. He bought. An, yeah. I just think it, it would have been a lot easier for me to believe that they fought off all those vampires if all those guys hadn't been wiped out so quick. Right. So and soon Richie's in the, battle. the first major character to die. Right. And he's an interesting character. And that's the other thing that's kind of, it's like, it's a waste of, which is one of the things we'll get into probably more in the, the TV series, but it's somebody that I wanted to delve more into why he was the way he was. Right. Or, and even Santenico Pandemonium, she gets like her big introduction scene that cuts everything off. And then she has that one moment and she's just gone. Yeah. And it, I mean, all it this was- build up and she's just gone, wasted. And that was something that I actually was surprised about because I'm like, I expected, you know, her to be in there more, especially because I, well, I'm partially because I watched the series before I watched the movie last. So it kind of like changed my, the way I thought of the movie, but I was expecting her to play a little bit more into it herself. So sure. A lot of these horde horror movies have a boss monster and she seemed pretty clearly to be a boss monster, but she's killed pretty early. Yeah. And 
ultimately it almost seems as though frost takes over as the the end boss almost in a way sure um so before we i think we're getting close to that point we're gonna take a break but you you mentioned jacob fuller you said that you didn't like the portrayal no not so much i mean i've seen harvey Keitel do a much better job he just was way too wooden in this role well i mean i understand he was trying to portray like um someone who was a grieving and b reserved and like trying to work things out internally and all that kind of stuff but I don't know. I just felt like his delivery was very stunted. Well, I think that's partially the character. Yeah, I, I, I got him as haunted, but also reserved trying to keep his family together. And probably his best performance is when he is taking over as a dad uh, when he's trying to get his kids to agree to kill him when he turns. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and and that's the only moment that I really saw that I could believe that that character was an actual you know, stand in front of the congregation and inspire and preach and stuff. Because Scott throughout the rest that. of the movie, I'm just like, you know, I don't believe this guy could be any kind of preacher. Although it was pretty badass when he had the shotgun and the baseball bat. Yeah. Some of these, and though I think out of one of the, out of all the weapons they had, I think shot cross shotgun would was good. Clooney. I'm sorry. That thing was so <laughs> huge. The spike motorized spike. The ja- jackhammer stake? Yeah, the jackhammer stake and the crossbow should have been taken out immediately. Those two should have not survived. Shotgun cross and a super soaker full of... Um, holy water? Holy water that sets them on fire immediately. Would... And the holy water condom grenades. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why everybody didn't just load themselves down with those and just run around smacking... I know, right? Because like, there was a whole case of super soakers. Why would it be like, hey, Juliet, you only have ten arrows? Yep. Again, it was it was Tarantino and Rodriguez sitting around getting all hyped up on each other. They obviously, yeah, they obviously when they wrote this movie did not put very good you know fighting tactics in because the best thing that they had in their favor was that tunnel leading to the back room that was full of weapons. And what do they do? They push themselves out of the room full of weapons out into the open. (laughs) You know, instead they had a tunnel where they could have fought them off like two, three at a time. Let's go out in the open, away from all the weapons. It was just let's make a rush for it. Let's rush the door. Yeah, it just bugged me. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, you know, not exactly great tactics there, but it made for a cool scene, and that's the thing. It's it's because cool. And that's always bugged me, that the jackhammer stake is pretty much in every way worse than just a pool cue. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it looked cool, and it sounded cool, and he looked cool holding it with his badass tattoos, which I'm not a fan of tribals or anything like that, but he pulled it off. Well, yeah. plus, this is at the stage of the 90s where the tribal tattoos, I I would probably you could make a pretty good case of From Dusk Till Dawn being one of the things that made the tribal tattoos popular. Yeah. Well, they were kind of dying off and being seen as kind of goofy. And then he, this movie came out and suddenly people are like, oh, we can spread them around. We don't have to just do a band. <laughs> huh, I don't remember seeing them before the mid 90s. Yeah, they were like because guys would just have it like as one band around their bicep. I think I agree with Josh on that one. Yeah, well, yeah you're both wrong. they were they were a joke by like the early to mid two thousands. But yeah, the, this was the first time I remember seeing them. And like two three years after this, my brother got a tribal tattoo, and I started seeing them all over. I can't say it was like everybody got the idea from Dusk Till Dawn. Maybe down in Texas or something, they were already popular. I was up in Chicago with you guys at this time. Remember? Yeah. Oh yeah. And can we all agree that Scott failed at following his dad's wishes? Yeah. No shit. <laughs> I mean, I can't everybody say I would have Everybody been, knew he would. 
I, I probably would have done the same thing, but still. That kid was weak. Hey, well, he probably tasted delicious. <laughs> Everybody loves. An hour later, Chinese. they was another one. Exactly. We did have a bunch of little cameos and cool nods to other stuff. Uh, you got uh, Michael Parks as Texas Ranger Earl McGraw, who's like killed in the first scene, but he plays that character like three more times yep. in other movies before his death. Yep. Yes. Um, then Kelly Preston showing up as the newscaster. Yeah, this was the first time I noticed that. I saw her in the credits. So I was like, what? So I looked for yeah, her. Yeah, I had forgotten about that, too. Mm-hmm. I still didn't catch it this time. Yeah, I only, uh, Sarah was watching it with me, and she was like, wait a minute, that's Kelly Preston. I was like, you're right, it is. <laughs> and then you guys probably saw the uh, bag of burgers that he brought in, what was on it. Big, co- big right. Kahuna Burger. Yeah. yeah. Reference to Pulp Fiction. Yeah, And there's uh, tips to that also in the new one, too. The Tarantino oh, yeah. universe. So they actually go to Big Kona Burger. Um, yeah, well, and then don't then they had uh, was it Changa beer? Yeah. Yep. From uh, Desperado and El Mariachi. Yeah, and isn't it what? Are, what are the cigarettes? Red Apple. I don't think Red Apple showed up in the movie though. Okay. But that but yeah, that is cigarettes. One yeah. yeah. It could have been a, a sign at some point, but you know, like at the at the, at the convenience store, maybe yeah. it would be possible. All right. Ready for that break? Yeah. Oh, do we want to do an up or down at this point or save that for the end? end. Yeah, save it for the end. Okay. So when we come back, we're going to talk about From Dusk Till Dawn, the series. Yeah. Brought to you by Red Apple. Welcome back. We are going over some more Dusk Till Dawn a couple years ago. 2014, uh, Dust Till Dawn, the TV show, came out on Netflix. And uh, that's... El Rey. El Rey, yes. Yeah, I think it was a fairly recent addition to Netflix, wasn't it? Yeah, Yeah, it just got added. Yeah, it hasn't been that long at all. But um, it's now going to be three seasons in? They're making a third season. Uh, I had never heard of this at all until we did this show. I had seen it for the longest time. And... My, I was like, because it was on El Rey. Yeah. Well, it's definitely, it's on El Rey, but my thing was, it's, uh, I couldn't, I was like, how, how good can it be and how bad can it get? That was my thing. Yes to both. Uh, we're, we're going to have some disagreements here. We're going to have some conversation here. (laughs) So, uh, 2014 to current, season three is in production. Uh, a Texas Ranger is in hot pursuit of the infamous Gecko brothers and their hostages. They all end up trapped in a desert bar secretly run by vampires and discover a vampire conspiracy. Bum, bum, bum. This is not a remake. This is a retelling. Yeah, and a retelling with... It's weird because you've got some spots where they want to hammer on points of what happened in the movie and some points where they want to make specific changes. Right. It's... it's it don't go into this saying because my my first thing was like how long of a how long of a TV show could they do? Right, that's what I was. You thinking. know, they're gonna get okay. They're they take the hostages, they get to the titty twister, and then there's just two of them left. Um, but this is Robert Rodriguez is part of the producing is uh, executive producer on this, so he said some word on it. Um, it's he wrote the teleplay too. Yeah, it's. <clears throat> interesting the way that they've taken this 
And like we had said before, you know, like when, when, uh, at the end of the movie, when you go in there and you see that the, um, see the temple behind there, you're like, there's gotta be so much more behind this. And this is the same mindset. It's the well, same the, thought. The whole first hour is all just the, the, uh, scene inside the, what do you call it? The oh, convenience store. store. Like the first 45 minutes. Yeah, the liquor store. The first, yeah, that, and with, <laughs> okay, so let's, um, let's, let, before we do into the, uh, into, um, who's in it, let's do the, let's get the trivia. Okay, so this is the first time that the character of, uh, Texas Ranger Earl McGraw has been portrayed by anyone else by, except Michael Park. It's portrayed by Don Johnson, uh, who, and Michael Park, it was in Dustle Dawn, Kill Bill number one, and Grindhouse. He played the same character. So Don Johnson took the helm for this one. Uh, which again, I was like, Don Johnson, huh? That was my initial thought, but I, he plays damn good old Texas Ranger. Yeah, that was the thing is at first I didn't recognize him. I'm like, holy crap, this Don Johnson. And then I'm like, holy crap, Don Johnson's killing it. Yeah, I know. And Don Johnson's playing the, the battle hardened, the, uh, leather, leather skinned Texas Ranger perfectly. He's really good at his character. Although Earl McGraw in the Tarantino universe is a little bit of a hick, not quite as wise as Don Johnson's take on the character. Well, I mean, I think part of it is is that if you take all the characters from this and try to parallel them to the movie, everyone is just a little bit different. Yep. So, which goes into Robert Patrick plays Jacob Fuller, who uh, was Harvey Keitel in the first in the movie, and was also in Dustal Dawn, Texas Blood Money in 1999. And he's the yep. only one from the films to appear in the series, with the exception of Danny Trejo, because Danny Trejo is literally everywhere. <laughs> he's in he's in Disney films now. I mean, he is for God bless Danny Trejo because that's his career. It wasn't he he didn't get his role until after he got out of prison, right? Yeah, he he was in jail. Yeah, came out, became a movie star. Yep, for him. <laughs> pretty pretty big name of uh, character actors too. Oh, I know. And uh, Vilmer Valderrama is so enthusiastic about working with Robert Rodriguez that he signed on without knowing what he was going to be playing. So, which sure, because honestly, I think uh, old Vilmer hadn't been doing anything in a while. If you don't recognize other, that. Other than every hot young actress in Hollywood. Right. Well, plus Robert Rodriguez is famous for getting Latino actors to work. And Wilmer Valderrama. What are you saying? What do you mean? What am I saying? I was having a Pat moment. Uh, Wait, what are you saying? Yeah. Yeah. I was having a Pat moment. What does that mean? <laughs> no he one said, knows what you're talking about. He said Robert Rodriguez is famous for getting uh, Mexican actors to work or Latinos actors to work. Yeah, it's, uh, yes. into parts in films. Right. Just simply, simply mentioning a race doesn't isn't a racist statement. Joel, you it are a terrible Pat. racist. <laughs> no, <laughs> moving. I know when I'm making a racist statement. Yeah, back, give it time. Back, back to what I was trying to say before the <laughs> colossal <laughs> clusterfuck of whatever that was. Fix that post, Mike. No. <laughs> That needs to be um, known. Wilmer Valderrama has never been able to play anything other than, like, he's best known for playing Fez. Mm-hmm. So Which is a great character. But, but yeah, awesome. not like a Latino badass the way he is in this. Right. And that's the thing. is Initially, I had problems watching this. Because when he showed up, I'm like, I know that guy. That The hell was that? Did we lose Joel? We lost Joel. Uh-oh. 
9 minutes and 37 seconds. That's what we get for calling him a bad racist. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get that at all. I think he was trying to go for a, like, oh, they don't work and he makes them work. <laughs> I don't know. But, and then <laughs> my racist joke failed. Blame Pat. <laughs> and that's why dogs have nipples. <laughs> and that's how babies are born. <laughs> have you tried to add him to the call again? No, I'm oh, I think he's back. Oh, you're oh, back. Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Because uh, for some reason my screen refuses to show your uh, your screen is racist. Yeah, apparently. Did That's you know? how it works? Okay, so country back in. Where were we? Where were where actually where were we before we go back? Well, last thing I heard, Josh was going to make a point. Okay. Oh, that's right, Josh. You, and you, I you, made the point. <laughs> no, yeah. Start off with I'm. I don't know what the hell that was. Now here's my point. Five. Shit, I don't even know where I was. Yeah, what was well, the point? That. Vilder, Vilmer Valderrama did the voice of Handy Manny. No, no, I, I, I think I got to the point <laughs> where I, I said that uh, he got to, finally got to play a Latino badass after only having been known as Fre- Fez. And we actually moved past that because you said that you'd uh, had a hard time watching this because you recognized him. And then, like, you cut yourself off because you noticed Joel oh, was missing. Joel. Okay, so I'll take off. I'll so why don't you just start saying it? I had a hard time watching it. it. Yeah, yeah. Five, four, three, two, one. Yeah, that was part of the thing is that when I was watching this, I was having a hard time watching it because my brain was saying Fez and my eyes were seeing badass. Right? Yeah. I know. And I was, I'm like, and then it became cooler. Now I buy it. I mean, it's. And your ears were saying Handy Manny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it is always nice to see somebody able to break out of a, of a, a typecast. Yeah, and he has done, I mean, I'm looking at how many, like, 56 different credits since he came out of that. You know, he's got, he's been working. It just hasn't been, you know, real, I mean, this isn't real high profile stuff that he's doing right now, but he looks really badass in this. So, but, uh, also, Robert Rodriguez had been waiting for a chance to work with Demi Lovato since she auditioned for his 2003 Spy Kids 3D Game Over, which we watched during our, uh, Stallone uh show cuz no, we did not <laughs> I was going to say maybe you did yeah i did <laughs> so in the show's second season a character was written specifically for Demi Lovato and Rodriguez made sure it was an episode that he had directed and he was so impressed by her performance that he wanted to direct the music video for Lovato's hit single Confident <laughs> which is kind of strange i know nothing at all about Demi Lovato so i have no jokes to make uh something something American Idol. <laughs> no, something, something, uh, Disney. There you go. Oh my god, I just realized something. What's that? Scott Fuller in this movie was the little badass kid from Tropic Thunder. Wait. Tran. He was Tran? Yes. Oh, the leader of the, the resistance? Yes. Oh, nice. That's fantastic. <laughs> that is. That's so, awesome. Okay, so let's get down with the cast. Oh, okay, so Seth Gecko in this one was played by DG, DJ Kat- Katrana. Katrana? Katrona? Yeah. Uh, known for, let's see, G.I. Joe <laughs> Retaliation. Yeah, Harry Potter's Lynn. Yeah, um, he did something called Venom a lot. Oh, sorry. Shut up. Okay. You do that. But G.I. Joe, yeah. Yeah, so he, he played Basically Flint. for G.I. Joe. Yeah, he played Flint. <laughs> uh, that which, you know, 2013, 2014, they picked him up for this. Uh, Zane Holtz, known for Holes. <laughs> and Perks of Being a Wallflower. Yeah. Um, he played body bag? No, something bag in home. What did he play in holes? 
some some goofball name. He played a hole. He was a hole. Yes. <laughs> uh, barf bag. He was a hole. What? He played barf bag in holes <laughs> with Shia LaBeouf. Yes, and uh, Sigourney. That's yeah, Sigourney Weaver. Trisha Arquette. Yeah. So um, he plays uh, Richie Gecko really, really well. I like this Gecko brother better than the uh, Quentin Tarantino version of Richie. Although he looks like if you took Michael Shannon and squished him together with uh, somebody out of JFK. Dean Cain. That's who he looks like to me. Oh, yeah. I he kind of does. Yeah. He also reminds me a little bit of the uh, Nolan verse uh, Crane, Dr. Crane Scarecrow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, um, yeah. The hell's that guy's name? Scarecrow. In my mind, he's always Scarecrow. Yeah, he very much reminds me. And that's part of the things I actually wrote that down in my notes is that he's v- he's very scarecrowish. He's very Cillian Murphy. Yeah, yeah that's right. Cillian Murphy. His name, yeah, right? but he's oh, got... it's driving me insane. <laughs> he's got. I got all the way Michael up to Shannon. I couldn't get past Gilligan. <laughs> you know who Michael Shannon is, though, right? The name's familiar. Yeah, the actor. I'm in the same boat. Okay, we'll have to that picture because he looks like Michael Shannon. So in this one, uh, Santanico Pandemonium is played by Aiza. I, yeah, it's Isa. Isa right, Gonzalez, yeah. who is known for uh, Lola Erraza Unves, Plaza Sesimo. She's on Sesame Street in Spanish. That's awesome. Uh, and something called True Love. Yeah, it looks like most of her stuff is Spanish language until this. I had not heard of her <gasps> before this. She was Jetta in Gem and the Holograms. There you go. And nobody saw it. Right. That was out for like three days, and they said, this is a bad idea. Let's just take that back. Negative uh, three days. We were just kidding. <laughs> Jesse Garcia as Freddy Gonzalez. Uh, Madison Davenport as Kate Fuller. The aforementioned Brandon Suho as Scott Fuller. Uh, Vilmer Valderrama as Carlos Madrigal. Jake Busey as... Very sex. subdued Jake Busey. Yeah, as, as very subdued for a, for a Busey all around. As uh, Professor Aiden Tanner, or Sex Machine, as he's known as we in these undercover. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Well, that comes actually. That comes out pretty quick. First, first it it does. If you, if you get uh, deep into the series enough to see him twice, you know he's sex machine. Yeah, and uh, Robert Patrick is Jacob Fuller, and Don Johnson is Sheriff Earl McGraw. I'm going to continue watching this. <laughs> uh, see, on paper, this addresses the concerns almost every one of us had with the original film that we wanted to see more out of certain characters. We thought certain performances were flat. We're like, how the hell did these random nobodies take out all of these vampires? There should have been more vampires. There should have been more vampires. They should not have been as good with these weapons as they were. They, you know, there's a, so many, uh, but ifs. Yeah. In, in the first one, I, one of the things that I, I noted to myself is, okay, so, Old DJ, DJ playing, playing Seth, he's cool, but he's not, uh, he's not George Clooney cool. Right. You know? And it's not that he's bad. No, it isn't that. It's just the bar's set stiff. so high. Exactly. Well, that's like saying that guy's handsome, but he's not Brad Pitt handsome. I mean, come on, don't set the bar so damn high. Well, I mean, George that's Clooney's like one of the coolest guys in Hollywood. <sighs> well, that's, but that's, see, that's the thing that everyone's going to say. They're, they're going to go, okay, so this guy's playing Seth Gecko. They're immediately, immediately going to compare him to uh, 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 George Clooney because that's what you're – when you think of the Gecko Brothers, you think George Clooney. 
And I'm going to go out on a limb here. One of the reasons why it struck out to me that DJ Catrona was no George Clooney is because with very few exceptions, I think most of the cast from the series are better as actors in those roles than the originals. That's maybe just my opinion. I'm like, I'm going to agree with you on that. Oh, I, I, I disagree in terms of Jacob Fuller because uh, as, although I like Robert Patrick uh, I don't know you know what I think it is I think Josh I think the reason that you and I think this way is because we're seeing so much more of who these characters are that's some of it and I, I will concede to Joel that that is probably the weakest like they are neck and neck for me as far as I was concerned that was pretty much a wash on who was the better Jacob, but like, I, I prefer Zane Holtz to Quentin. Mm-hmm. I actually think that Isa Gonzalez, uh, like, for one thing, her, uh, her satanico pandemonium has a lot more to do. And yes. I think that if you're just going on pure sex appeal, which is what all, uh, Santanico was when Selma Hayek played her, I, I gotta give the edge to Isa Gonzalez. What? Oh, yeah. I'm with you. Shut your face. I'm with you, Pat. Yeah. I, I think, I think part of the reason that I'm enjoying this more is because, you know, there's so much of the Gecko Brothers that you're like, what the hell? You know, why is he, why is Richie acting this way? Why is he doing this? And you're getting this, it's like they took the story and they put in this, well, what if he's, you know, okay, we've already called spoilers, but what if he's being called by them? What if he's got this weird vision? Why is he killing people? For no seemingly no reason. And they've intertwined the Gecko Brothers story with this supernatural type of, of he's being called to this temple to, because of Santanico is calling, it wants him there. You know, there's this, this, when they say vampire conspiracy, that's exactly what it is, is that he's being played by them. And it's not that he's not crazy. Richie is still crazy in this, but he's crazy and he's seeing visions. Whereas like Quentin Tarantino's Richie had this childish impulsivity. He does something and then makes up stories to cover that's his it. behavior. You just that I you j- just made me realize why I don't like Tarantino's uh Richie. Because he's he does that stuff and he's in especially like in the hotel room scene. He's kind of like, "Well, it's I don't know, it's, it's, she did it. It was her." It was completely her fault, you know, and it's that's whereas this Richie is seeing stuff and he knows something is happening. He well, knows that's what's causing him to do it, though, because before that, like I said, he was a safe cracker. He was on point. He was, you know, uh, a bit of muscle, whatever, but he wasn't insane. And now he's doing these things because he's seeing the visions. Right. And I, I, to be honest with you, I didn't like that whole angle at all. I didn't need the whole supernatural visions thing i i just preferred that the guy just be crazy yeah it's fallen flat for me too pat and and the i don't know why i because i still like this to series. me it just felt like it was just i don't know why i felt this way but it felt like it was just tacked on just so they could do more with screen time i mean it just felt like a, something just made up for a plot point to fill up time and give more story it didn't feel natural it didn't feel needed it didn't feel organic 
at all to me. See, I felt that way about some of the changes they made and some of the references felt a little forced. Like one of my biggest notes on this is I like it a lot, love it at times. And sometimes I'm just like, this, this has just gone from awesome to terrible. It's just wildly inconsistent. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's, that's exactly my thoughts on it. But we're still, have any of us made it to the second season? No. no, I I uh, stopped at seven because I ran out of time. Yeah, I stopped at seven also because I was watching. I it stopped at, work. at four because I didn't want to watch anymore. <laughs> oh, I, I got through episode five, and they just now got to the titty twister. So I'm I'm seriously wondering by the end of season one, where are they in the storyline, or are they is season two moving on to new territory? See, the, I, yeah. Oh, I was thinking the thing is with Joel and Pat, you have to take this. You can't take this as, oh, here is a story of From Dusk Till Dawn with the Gecko Brothers. You have to say, here is a story. It's not the story. We've already been told one story about what happened at, with the Gecko Brothers. This is a what, like, a, kind of like the, remember the Marvel What If comics? Yeah, of course. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like, what if Richie was actually being brought there? What if, you know, what if this happened? It's, it's stays in sync with a lot of the world, but at the same time, you know, like, with Jake Busey's character of uh, the professor and sex machine, you know, why did sex sex machine wasn't a professor in the movie, but they bring him in there. It's like if they kept to the storyline, they kept to that non uh, the way it was in the movie, we would be in episode seven and we'd have only one gecko brother. And incidentally, Jake Busey is spot on in that role. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's so good. I, oh, I and very impressed with this character. We kind of moved away from the character to character comparison. I think that uh, Brandon Suhu is just straight up a better Scott Fuller. Like it's not even close. Well, I agree with you there. Yeah. And Madison Davenport as Kate is a harder comparison because her Kate and Juliet Lewis's Kate are different. And I, well, she I has think a Matt, much larger role in the TV show than she did in the movie. Yeah, and they have different personalities. And I do feel that her performance is better than Juliette Lewis's performance, mainly because I expect more out of uh, Juliette Lewis than we got in From Dusk Till Dawn. Uh, but they are such different characters that it's not an apples to apples comparison. I think her Kate Fuller and in, in Madison's Kate Fuller is a lot more in-depth, a lot more complex, and actually is playing closer to her age and to the situation she's been put in versus mm-hmm. Juliette Lewis, who is... Like I said, she was a little stiff in that. And to go back for a second about what you were saying, Mike, I, I'm familiar with the, you know, from watching Bates Motel and, and Hannibal and kind of, and, and I, I, I get that and I, I'm, I'm enjoying it and I think I'll probably will watch the rest of it, but I just, there's, it's so like inconsistent. Like Josh was saying, I think that's the perfect word is that one minute I'm like, holy crap, that was amazing. And another minute I'm like, well, what the hell was that? And I think the biggest, factor that's keeping me really the most intrigued is Richie Gecko's characterization. Yeah. Zane Holtz is like, I, I could understand like not no, liking the direction they went with Ricky, but Zane Holtz is far and away, like just running away with every scene he's in. He's just like commanding your attention with his performance. Yeah. He's very good. Yeah. And he's even, even in the scenes like where he's a crazy man in the wilderness. Uh huh. You know, it's he his his freaky freakiness is more of a it it's not like you said it's not that child that has no control freakiness. It's that he hasn't killed me because he hasn't decided he wants to yet. 
So the other big departure, and this gets into oh. one really cool nod I wanted to talk about, is Carlos not as a crime boss who is a comedy beat at the end who had no idea of what's going on. He's an integral player in both being a vampire and being involved in everything from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And big difference. Can I uh, again backtrack for a second that uh, the relationship between Richie and and uh, Kate, at least in the episodes that I've seen so far, it, it expands on that weird dynamic that they had in the film. And just a scene by them together by the pool is just so uncomfortable because you know what he's capable of. But at the same time, you see how he was before uh, he kind of fell under that power and that when he touches her arm, that just kind of just it's a very well written scene. <clears throat> and I like that interplay that they have together, at least mm-hmm. in the parts that I've seen. I don't know how that goes from there, but well, you could almost make a case for Kate. Obviously, in the original, if she had a love interest, it was Seth in the movie. It's almost leaning a little more towards Richie in the series from what I've seen. Which is weird because she's weird. shown no interest in interacting with Seth at all. But when she gets into trouble in episodes you haven't seen, first person she goes for is Richie. Well, that's because maybe Seth it's was- just because she knows he's going to be the one to protect her. Whereas Seth is a gray area. She knows Richie it will not let harm come to her until he's going to do it. He's not going to let somebody else harm her. That's really twisted. Yeah. Well, plus I, I like I said, Mike and I have seen a couple more episodes than you guys have. And Richie has specific reasons to kill the people he wants to kill. But sometimes he just like the original Richie, he doesn't have a sense of when is an appropriate time to do something. And, and he can't express his reasons without sounding crazy. Mm-hmm. And no, sometimes. Oh, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to I was just going <laughs> to say he sometimes interprets his visions incorrectly. He's like, okay, I have to kill this person because they're really a monster when he's really seeing the future. Someone who's going to turn, he's like, he, he can see what they're going to be. So he wants to shoot them in the head today. So we, at some point have to talk about the in- introduction and ongoing character of Freddy Gonzalez. Yeah, I guess we do because, <laughs> yeah. well, because I mean, he, he's interwoven into the storyline so much and he wasn't a character in the original film at all. I, um, I every time he's on was on screen, I expected him to die because I'm like, they could get rid of this character any time. Well, he made a promise, and he's going through with it, and he's become uh, an important part of this. Well, maybe not important. He made, but he made a promise to become one dimensional. He's a big he's a big <laughs> character in the storyline now, and he was not even in the original film at all. So. Um, I mean, whereas Carlos kind of turned into something entirely different, here's somebody entirely new. I don't, I don't hate the character, but I don't, I don't know if it's necessary, I guess. Yeah. He, well, I, I think they need a, a they need guy. a foil. Yeah. They kind of yeah. do. They can't, cause they, they need a good guy because they've got, you know, the, the, who have they got for the characters? I mean, they've got the, the Gecko brothers and they've got the vampires. Neither of but them. He, he's also a character they can use for exposition anytime they need. That's true. Uh huh. Well, and they also get you into a spot where you start to see the geckos as the good guys and, uh, you see the Fuller family start to look at them that way. And then you realize, wait a minute, there's this hero character that just wants to kick down the door and shoot these guys. And, and he does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, he's, he's like got this like possession of, 
he, you know, he wants to, he's hunting them down. He is like, you know, the, the, the hunt dog. Now the nod I wanted to talk about. Oh yeah. They, uh, did something really, really cool with the fact that in the original, uh, you have Cheech Marin playing multiple characters. Right. In this one, the three characters that Cheech plays, two of them end up getting played by Wilder, Wilmer Valderrama because Carlos has this shape-shifting ability. He is Carlos, yeah. and he also, like, absorbs the border guard and becomes him. Yeah, that was weird. And the only reason of he wasn't uh, Chet Pussy as well is because Chet Pussy has to die, and Carlos can't. Mm-hmm. Because Carlos is, like, a major part of the series. And I think that was a cool idea. I mean, because he's making this character that, like you had said before, was, you know, was this, you know, comedy, he, you know, he chose the wrong bar type thing at the end of the first one. Again, they're giving him more depth. They're giving him a little bit more. Well, what if he was, what if he was a vampire? What if he sent him there deliberately? What if he, I mean, as whereas the first, the movie itself was, why, you know, why is this happening? Because it's cool. This whole question on the whole TV show is, well, what if, what if he was a vampire? What if there's like this whole cabal of vampires across Mexico? You know, and my, my hope on this one is if this, if this show keeps going, you have this cabal of vampires just from Mexico. Well, what about the other countries? How far is this going to go? I mean, I'm curious to see how, how long they're going to take this idea on. I mean, is it going to be like a full on, like world of darkness type stuff? And I kind of think some of the unevenness we uh, were talking about is going to start to disappear, as Joel said, once they get into new territory. Because there is a bit of almost a fetishization of the original scenes where it's like, okay, in the movie, Seth goes out for burgers. Let's do half an episode on Seth going out for burgers. And well, what happens while he's there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but in the, also... It's, it's, it's going to turn into like a whole thing of 24 where you're like... Can these guys just do anything without something dramatic happening? Well, yeah, and it's like everything that happened in the movie, they're like, okay, our concept is we're telling the same story, but we're going to expand it. But you don't necessarily need a 30-minute shot of every single thing that happened in the movie. And I think that's some of where the tone gets a little uneven. Okay. So at some point, are we going to talk about the fact that the vampires in this are more like snakes than vampires? They were really like snakes in the first one, too. Yeah, but they're more explicitly like their fangs don't protrude as canines. They actually fold down. Yeah. I mean, and then that's, you know, thankfully, if you guys watch a little bit further, Professor Jake Busey explains that they're conical fangs and they're, they retract and all that. <laughs> Him going f immediately from exposition vampire expert to bucking his hips <laughs> and shooting the cock gun. That, that was. <laughs> spoilers and no I mean, it's not spoilers because you know he's sex machine so you I know he's gonna do it and he's but he's fighting the vampires and he's doing these hip thrusts to fire and then finally he finishes and he goes ah i blew my load <laughs> <laughs> it was just like why did he say that because what else would he say well there's another scene where um uh carlos is behind the one dude and he he starts contorting his body and before he bites his neck the border guard Oh yeah, getting mm -hmm. out of the um that's a very snake like action. Yeah. So well, I mean they, and they, they Oh, go ahead. They they toy around with it a bit in the original. Like when Santana when 
uh, Selma Hayek t- turns for the first time, she starts to look snake-like and then shifts into more of a vampire uh, appearance. So there's like a transition. But here it's very clearly pointed out that they're not just vampires. They're Mexican vampires, I guess. Well, and they do explain that later on. And, and again, off, you know, Professor Busey uh, explains that um, – you know, if you look at the walls of the temple of the bar, you know, there's snakes all over the place. You know, he, they actually do a good job of, of making it plausible that these are, that these are vamp, uh, snake vampires. Yeah. And they want to delve a little deeper into the revelation at the end of the film that this has an Aztec Maya, that Mesoamerican Indian influence. Yeah. Right. So. So, yeah, I, I like I said, I, I don't think it's perfect by any means, but I plan on continue watching it despite the fact that it's a little uneven, mostly because it gives me a lot of what I wanted. I wanted to see more uh, Richie Gecko. I wanted to see more Sex Machine. I wanted more out of these characters, and I'm getting it. And I, I can forgive the occasional misstep or a pointless scene to stretch out the narrative into 10 episodes. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing is like, it's, it's not amazing. It's not great. It's not a, it's not an, it's not something that's going to be, you know, uh, winning any awards, but it's damn fun. Is it, there frost? Uh, that was when I, in the pre-show, when I suddenly went, huh? And you guys are all like, uh, what are you talking about? Cause the, uh, frost not being in the titty twister at the beginning was one of my main, like, aw, but well, frost will at some point appear. Uh, I-, I believe his role is way, way smaller when he shows up though. I haven't gotten to him in the first seven episodes, but he was on the wiki as a character. Yeah. Right. I'm trying not to look at the, the wiki too much cause I don't want to know. You know, like how many episodes these guys are in, that sort of thing. But I'm, well, I'm waiting for Jeff Fay to show up. And I at one point thought that uh, it said Gary Busey and not Jake, and I was like, oh boy, that's they're a both in step. it. Uh, Gary is going to show up in season two. It's in season two. Gary Busey, Demi Lovato, Jeff Fahey, and uh, Danny Trejo, and William Sadler, and William Sadler, and David Hickey. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people show up for the second season, and uh, unfortunately, I've gotten some spoilers from reading episode synopses accidentally. But yeah. whatever, I'm looking forward to. Like, I don't know that I'm going to immediately binge watch the rest of this, but I, I will probably uh, finish it at some point. Nope, Daredevil comes out tomorrow, so right. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, and I agree with you, Josh. And that's why I think we agree on this. It's not, it's not amazing, but it. It's so much fun to watch. You know, it's, it's, it, it gives you that Gecko Brothers fix. So what was it about it that made you dislike it so much you didn't want to see more than four episodes, Pat? That's a good question. I don't know. There were, I just, <laughs> it, it bummed. Right. It, it, it just, yeah, uh, yeah, whatever. I just didn't like it. Nope. It just, <laughs> <laughs> it just sucked. It was full of sucky. <laughs> I, I kept getting annoyed by the fact that. It, it was just obvious that they were stretching things out for plot, like the whole scene in 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 the Kahuna Burger, and like the whole introduction of the new character of his girlfriend or whatever ex wife, whatever you want to call her, and it, like every time they kept cutting to the ranger who just 
sucked at his job. I mean, I mean, he was uh, he was good at hunting, like he was good at doing um, investigative work, but not good at follow through. Like every time he'd get close to him, he'd let him get away because he had to for plot, and it was just driving me crazy. So it just, I don't know. It was, it's it to me, it feels like a story that needed to be told, but in a different format. Like just make another movie or something. I don't know. I just twenty episodes is too much to me, and. There was some good acting and there was some bad acting, and I don't know. I just, I think it was just like like you said before, the uneven style. After after a while, it was just kind of grating on me, like how sometimes it would be good and sometimes it would just be. I just didn't want to watch it at all. Yeah, I think you have to. You got to hold on to it. You got to you got to stick through it. I mean, it's not like I said, it's not going to be amazing. But, but it I was is. told the same thing about Battlestar Galactica. That never happened. I was told the same thing about <laughs> uh, um, the the uh, what the the. Fucking trailer park boys, that never happened. I will say that uh watching scenes with Ranger Freddy Gonzalez gets more interesting as the show goes on. Like I in the first couple episodes, I was just like, Okay, this dude again. Can we just go back to seeing Seth and Richie? Mm-hmm. But eventually I got to the point where some of the aspects of the series that couldn't have been told without Freddy Gonzalez scenes became interesting to me. So I, I will probably, he'll never be my favorite character, but I'm getting to the point at about episode six or seven where I'm just like, when he shows up on the screen, it's not like, Oh, this fucking guy again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, he felt like a low rent Michael Pena when I'm like, Michael Pena is already low rent. Why didn't you just go out and get him? <laughs> I don't hate him. I just, there's times, yeah, where I'm kind of like the same way, but I don't hate him. I wish I that there hate was him more either. I, just, Johnson, I mean, he but. was just, again, I, I just nothinged him. You know? And speaking of which, why why didn't they get Michael Parks? He was alive. He's still alive. <laughs> Not he was. Know. Yes. Anyway. Why so. would they? Don Johnson was killing oh, it. No, I think Don Johnson is great. I mean, he's uh, in his, in his uh, elder statesman like age now he's definitely stepped up i mean in django unchained he was uh, he was very good oh yeah, yeah that's really a, good now, yeah yeah that's the thing is like I, I never would have thought if you'd told me 15 years ago that i thought don johnson was a great actor i was like well, <laughs> what am i smoking yeah right go put on some socks <laughs> so so we'll go around the table the movie thumbs up thumbs down around okay i'll start i have uh, i have a very reluctant thumbs up for the movie. It's it's almost a thumb sideways, but it's turning up. So yeah, okay. <laughs> up. It's a semi erect <laughs> thumb. Yeah. <laughs> my my thumb's a little more erect than his, but not much more. <laughs> uh, my thumb is fully erect and kind of purple. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's erect and throbbing. <laughs> um, I don't know if I want to follow that one up. <laughs> My, you know, mine's, mine's, I'm, I'm with Josh. Mine's thumbs up. It's, I liked watching it. I watched it again. It was kind of like, there were some things I missed. It was like, yeah, it's just as cheesy fun as I remember it was. But again, I don't own a copy of it. You know, I know it's not something that I've actually gone out and like looked for type of thing. So I, okay with it. Not, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I'm never going to own a copy of this movie. I own the, the entire trilogy and the documentary about it. There's and a I'm never going to see the other two movies, and I'm probably not going to watch any more of these. That's TV right. Show, so. You don't need to. The other, the other two are pretty terrible. 
Yeah, we need to get you to watch some uh, Tremors. Some Trevors? Trevors, yeah, that's, yes. a, that's a good one. God damn it. Why did I do that? Okay, so for the series. I will give uh, it a thumbs down, but it's not an overwhelming thumbs down. It's it's a <laughs> it's a post orgasm thumbs down. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know either. You know how you're not fully erect anymore. You're not even like all the way. It's See, the problem of- is, is when someone said erect. Yeah, <laughs> we went down a very different path than we were intending. You opened up the door for the 14 year old and me to run through. That's fantastic. There's a 14 year old. Oh, okay. Like a thumbs down, but not but not quite 90 degrees. And- yeah. I, I'm a solid thumbs up on the series. I mean, it's not like overwhelming. This is going to rival like the shows I regularly watch, but I don't know. There's a lot of entertainment, a lot of games out there. And the fact that I'm willing to continue watching it when I don't have to for the podcast anymore, that says something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in, I, I'm in the, I'm with you, Josh. It's, I want to keep watching it. Suzanne's been watching it for, with me on these. And I think, you know, we're going to continue, you know, f- we're going to finish off the season. It's more, you know, it's not like, you know, I have to, but it's a, it's still fun. It's still fun I, to watch. I kind of might, just because I like vampires so much, I want to see what they did with them. I might watch just till the end of the season. I don't you, know. I'm not going to rush to do it. You should. Um, uh, well, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Even with the inconsistencies and the the some of the mythos that I find lackluster, um, I, I like watching Richie when he's not fantasizing about eyeballs Uh, (laughs) and i I like the portrayal of that character that he that he's taken on and i'm I'm curious to see where it goes you know i mean i'm i'm not as big of fans of the characterizations of some of the characters as who they are but i think that the the job that the people are doing is pretty great and if they i mean i'm a mixed bag but yes it's a thumbs up i don't know where i'm going anymore shut up (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the guy Zane Holtz as Richie kind of reminded me when we were doing our Bat Month a while back, when we were talking about Gotham, the way everyone saw the guy playing Penguin as the standout. To me, Zane as Richie was kind of the same way. It's like this is one of the big reasons to keep watching it, even if sometimes the show around him isn't all that great. Yes. So there we go. Dust till dawn's. So what do we got on tap for next week, gentlemen? Next week, we are doing presidents and pop culture. Yeah, we talked about trying to talk. I mean, election and presidents are such a big topic, but you never want to be the guy to bring up politics at a party. <laughs> That's poor form, controversial. We'd all be yelling at each other. Yeah. We'd offend yeah. half of our listeners. So instead, right. we're going to talk about presidents, but we're going to talk about presidents as they have appeared in merchandising, being parodied, etc. There's going to be a lot of Saturday Night Live in this. Probably, yes. Yeah. But no politics. No politics. We're going back to, I mean, honestly, I think we should start with Nixon. Oh, we may even go further back, although we were all, most of us were alive for at least the end of the Nixon administration, if not part of it. Yeah. But so. we'll, we'll maybe reference some of the earlier presidents just to, yeah. So 
Yeah. Because presidents and parody. That's the safest way we can get <laughs> talk about something presidential <laughs> right. and not breaking down into a fight. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you have any other ideas for shows, uh, feel free to give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. And remember that if you look us up on uh, – if you have a Facebook app on your phone, you can just tap that button on our Facebook page and it will go straight to us. You will call Josh. Josh will answer. No, I won't. And send you a pizza. Uh, that won't happen either. <laughs> I'm dialing now. <laughs> but in, if you don't want pizzas, but you do want archives of our old shows, you can always find those on iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, and other fine podcasting directories. All right. Good night, folks. Us. Huh. Guess oh, again. Lolo. Yeah, one of these days you're gonna just like I'm expecting like you're your He's gonna spleen. prolapse his own mouth. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Forty Going On Fourteen. I'm Mike. Josh won't be here since he prolapsed his his mouth. Oh gosh, I prolapse.